0: praise god for the fact that now we have that boring adult quietness that we have (laughs) so thankful for all the kids and those ministering to them all right please take your bible and let's turn if you would please to the book of esther chapter 3 verses 7 through 15. esther chapter 3 verses 7 through 15 is where we'll be this morning of course i want to introduce that with some comments and we'll get Uh, right into the text then. We've been going uh, verse by verse through the book of Esther and we've come to a place where we find out who the bad guy is and now we find out just exactly uh, what he wants to do today. Well one would think that in the inter-uterine environment for a baby they would be safe in that place, that he or she would be safe to be there. But it is not uh, true in every case. It is not true in, in multitudes of cases in our country and around the world. The babies in the womb are not safe. Many babies are reached there and put to death either by chemicals or stainless steel instruments or a combination of the both of both of those, designed for one purpose and that is to snuff out their little lives. Biblically, to do so, the Bible teaches, is an act of murder. Would you turn back with me and let's see that in the book of Exodus. And these uh, verses should be in your bulletins as well if you're following along. uh, The book of Exodus, chapter 21, verses 22 to 23. So if we had to find a place in the Bible where it says that abortion is murder, uh, this is where we would go. And it says in verse 22 of Exodus 21, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, so a pregnant woman, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, and that word injury is a Hebrew word that happens to mean a fatal accident. All right, if there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. So two guys are having a fight, they hit a pregnant woman, Uh, she goes ahead and delivers prematurely but the baby lives then the husband is able to exact a cost uh, to the man who caused this and then the judges decide whether it's fair or not and he has to pay it now let's look at verse 23 but if there is any further injury then you shall appoint as penalty life for life in other words life in the place of life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. If God did not consider that the life in the womb was, a, was real life, and it was a real human being, then these would not apply to a baby that is, uh, uh, if you will, lost through this battle, this fight that these guys have, and, she, and he or she dies. That's an issue of uh, taking the life of a baby in the womb. And then, of course, uh, that would demand the person's life who did it. So we can see that it is a capital offense to take the life of someone in the womb. Now, uh, we understand that this is uh, something that happens all the time in our country. It's a problem in our country and around the world. Uh, We also understand that there is no sin that God can't forgive. There is no sin that God will not uh, make us uh, free of in its hold on us. It is my belief that if somebody has an abortion or pays for one, they get an automatic demonic transfer because of the evil of that situation, and that causes problems in their life. Well, this is uh, mind-blowing. It is staggering, the numbers of innocent children that have been wiped out. And it is, to me at least, especially upsetting, and probably to you, to live in a land where many leaders are supporting uh, this kind of murder of children, and they're inventing laws to make it happen, And they want those who are opposed uh, to this to help pay for it through their taxes. Just recently, somebody in our government at the Washington level uh, said that they were going to go after Texas for making this law, that you couldn't have an abortion after uh, the heartbeat, and they said that's not right. And this person actually said, "Uh, we as the U.S. government believe that it is uh, something that is should be ready on demand and it doesn't matter the situation doesn't matter the the age of the child it doesn't matter in the womb I mean and it doesn't matter the reason anytime anywhere by anyone if they want an abortion they should be able to have it and uh, we know that our taxes help pay for those kinds of things and to us it is abhorrent it is a taking of life and we we are against it We believe that the blood of the innocent children cries from the ground for vengeance from God. And God listens to their cries. Jesus is a promoter of life. Satan, the archenemy of Christianity and of the Lord Jesus Christ, is always promoting a culture of death. Jesus wants us to foster life. Many leaders think nothing about the lives of, of those that they rule over and they really don't care. And this is just one example where that is true. There are others. I just happened to pick on that one this morning. There are lots of others where they don't seem to care about the lives of people that are under their control. Well, this is uh, pretty much where we're gonna end up this morning in the book of Esther as we understand what happened in this political situation in those days. So you'll remember in Esther chapter three, verses one through six, uh, that there was a man that was promoted by the king Uh, to be the second most powerful person in the entire land of Persia. And uh, he turns out to be an enemy of not only Mordecai, who is the adopted uh, father of Hadassah, or Esther, if you will, And so he has decided that since Mordecai will not bow down to him and pay homage to him, and somehow he's saying it's because I'm a Jew that I can't do that. And we looked at that last week, how uh, that really, we can't find any precedence for that. As long as he's not worshiping, it probably would have been okay because others did it uh, and bowed down to others and honored them. Uh, So we don't know where he's coming from, but he would not honor Haman. And so now Haman decides that he's going to put him to death. And that's not good enough to just put him to death. He wants uh, all the Jews to be put to death. So he's against everybody. Now we pick it up as that plan continues for Haman in verse 7. In the first month, which is in the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, his other name is Xerxes, uh, poor, uh, that is the lot, we'll talk about that, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. Now, what we're saying is they used something like what we saw on the screen this morning. They would cast those. He would have a, div- a diviner look at it. And what he was looking for, when is the best date to uh, plan the, the death of the Jews? When should we do that? And that's what goes on for a long time. Verse 8, Then Haman said to king Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. Now, what he's talking about is not so much their laws, but their belief system. And that belief system is often talked about in terms of laws from uh, the first five books of the Bible. But he says their laws are different from those of other people, and they do not observe the king's law. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. Okay, so what's he have in mind? If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry out the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the son of Hammedatha the Agagite and the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, the silver is yours, and the people also. Do to them as you please. Then the king's scribes were summoned, and on the thirteenth day of the first month, which, by the way, for the Jews is one day before the Passover, and it was written just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps and to the governors, uh, who were each over each province, of the, uh, and the princes of each people, each province according to its script, in other words, the, the writing of their language, and each according to his language being written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder, In other words, the people that go out and kill the Jews, hey, he wants you to know it's okay with the king. If you kill a family of Jews, whatever's theirs, you just go ahead and take it. That'll be fine. That's the plunder. Verse 14, a copy of the edict uh, to be sent was issued as a law in every province and published to all the people so that they should be ready for this day. The couriers went out impelled by the king's command while the decree was issued in the citadel in Susa. Now notice what's going on. The decree is going out. Everybody is learning of this fact that in about 11 months, we're going to have a time when everybody turns on the Jews and you have the right to put them to death and then take whatever is theirs. The news goes out, and remember Ahasuerus is in the citadel, his palace for the winter months. He's there, and this is where the decree goes out. It's going to hit the ground there first in Susa. And while the king and Haman sat down to drink... The city of Susa was in confusion, so an edict has gone out to kill hundreds of thousands of people who are innocent, and the king and Haman decide what they need to do, to sit down and have a few drinks together, and it's business as usual, while the rest of the city is absolutely in confusion and up in arms. Can you believe what this says? I'm sure is their attitude. <clears throat> All right, let's go back and look at this a little bit closer. In verse 7, we learn it is not God It is not God. leaders consult when they are planning to do evil to others. It is not the God of heaven that the leaders consult when they're planning to do evil and wicked things to other people. So if something evil and wicked comes out, you can guess that the people that designed that did not consult God to do what they're going to do. And so here I am using the word God to represent the biblical Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember, they have always existed. There's never a time when the three-in-one have, have not existed. They've always been around. Jesus, however, at this time would be in his pre-incarnate state. doesn't have a body yet, but he will uh, when he comes for his uh, first advent. But Jesus, in our case, as we focus on him, uh, does not give out decrees to do evil and wickedness. And uh, my definition of evil is built on what the Bible says is evil, not what modern man today saying is is saying is evil. So I have really narrowed the definition of evil because I, we don't agree that what some of the people are calling evil is evil, and we don't agree that what some of the people today are calling good really is good. We're in that position in this in this time of our life, where there are people calling that which we believe as evil and we call it good and they have other things they want us to believe that we say is evil and they say it's good. So I'm narrowing the definition of evil and at the same time have broadened it where the world is concerned because they call what is good evil today and what is evil they're calling good. Everything has been flip-flopped and they're on different sides. There has been a complete paradigm shift in this area in our culture. And we can't understand as Christians, why do you think it it is not evil, uh, say, to abort children? Why don't you think that you shouldn't do that and that it's good not to? And that is simply not the way people are thinking because they've been given over to a delusion at this time. And they believe that which is not true. Well, Haman, a man who has been appointed to the top leadership role in the entire uh, kingdom of Persia, 127 different provinces uh, in that leadership position, second only to the king, Xerxes, is extremely mad at Mordecai and the Jews in general. So he's lumping them all together. So Mordecai, not bowing down to Haman and showing respect, has turned out that now an entire nation of people are set for the chopping block. And this is what uh, Hasuerus is allowing to happen and what Haman wants to happen. But I want you to notice in this, I can't find any evidence at all that Haman said, oh, by the way, king, it's the Jews that I'm targeting. He didn't even mention that. He's just talking about there's a group of people in your land. They don't follow our laws. They have a completely set of different laws. They're not good people. Uh, They're going to subvert what we want done here. And really, uh, I don't think you should allow them to remain. Well, when you're one of the largest, if not the largest kingdom in the entire ancient world at the time, where do you think they're going to go? It isn't about them getting kicked out of the provinces. It's something else. And as you remember, he is so mad that he doesn't just want vengeance on one man he wants to wipe out an entire nation. This probably has to do with Mordecai using the fact that um, Mordecai was a Jew. Uh, Haman is using the fact that Mordecai was a Jew uh, to keep him from showing respect to Haman. And Haman didn't buy it. He said, well, if that's what the Jews are like, if, if you come from a group of people that can't show respect to somebody like me, Haman, who deserves respect, then there's something awfully wrong with the Jews, so let's just get rid of all of you so this problem doesn't come up again. So Haman turns to the occult. Uh, by the way, when we're talking about, in that sense, a cult, we're talking about somebody that has messed up the teachings of Jesus. Somehow they say he's not completely God or completely man or something else about Jesus. That's a cult or a religious system. The occult is completely outside of anything with Jesus and it's all the other occultic perversions that are in the world that don't really care about Jesus or name anything about Jesus. So he turns to the occult. This man doesn't know the God of Israel. He doesn't serve the God of Israel. He has other gods and we could guess, although he doesn't say exactly which God he serves in the pagan world, but he serves a different God. And he's going to use the occult to plan the destruction of the jews and in order to find out when the best time to kill the jews would be he cast what is called the poor pur and that is a word for lot so he's casting lots and that would be divination because it's in the hands of a cultist so he would call those that are involved in magic arts and they would bring the knuckles in of the deer or of the goat and they would throw those and then this person would spiritually read what the information is That's what divination is. Now, Israel does have a thing called the lot, and they did use it. Israel had a lot in terms of two things, and that was two stones, a white one and a black one, and they were polished stones. They may or may not have had words written on them, but what would happen is they were kept behind the breastplate of the high priest in a pouch, and when Israel needed a yes or no answer, they would pray to God and say, should we do this or should we not? Uh, David used that and said, should we go up against this enemy? The high priest reaches in. He pulls out one of the stones, and they are called the Urim and the Thummim. One of them, the white one, meant yes, and the black one meant no. But he couldn't tell by feeling them without looking which was which. So uh, that would be the lot that was cast, and they believed, as they should have, that that lot came from God. So uh, let's look at how, pro- how they would use that in Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 33. And this is just one instance of many, and he's talking about the lot here, the lot of God, the lot of Yahweh, not the lot of pagan gods. It's purely demonic the other way. And it says in Proverbs 16:33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from Yahweh. Its every decision is from the Lord. Now, what we need to understand here is that this pagan guy by the name of Haman, when they cast these knuckles to find out when to kill the Jews, uh, he may think his gods are in control of everything, but they are not. Now, they may have picked the day, and that's going to work into God's plan, but if God doesn't allow it, it's not going to happen. But every decision comes from the Lord. He is in control of everything that happens and everything that's going to go on. Uh, let's look at another place uh, that I have outlined again in Acts one twenty six, And remember that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has, has reappeared to them. He's gone back into heaven. And so uh, they could pray. They could ask God to tell them. But they choose to use the lot to find out who is going to replace Judas Iscariot, who uh, died in the field of blood, uh, as he hung himself because he had sold out Jesus Christ, felt guilty for that. Who's going to take his place? We need somebody. Well, two men's names came up, and it says in verse 26 of Acts 1, And they drew lots from them, for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So now we have twelve again. All I want you to see is that if the lot is used of God and it's God who's directing it and they're praying to God, that's not a bad thing. There are people using uh, the lot to, to one of our churches uses it to decide uh, who gets to be the elder that year out of qualified men that have already been picked. Seems to work pretty well for them and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They did it in the New Testament. They did it after uh, Jesus was was already uh, taken out of the way. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And they did that. And there's other places. I just gave you one. But when Haman is doing it, there's nothing about praying to Yahweh. He doesn't care about Yahweh. He doesn't care about the Hebrew God. Haman is is cast, lost. Is casting lots, and he doesn't care what the God of Israel thinks. Haman's lot casting was not to find out what Yahweh wanted, because what he would have found out is, uh, don't touch my people. Uh, rather, his goal and what he wanted had to do with superstition, with the occult. Uh, God was still in control, though Haman didn't know it. He's trying to find out when's the best day, according to the gods, that I need to put these people to death. He finally settles on a day after months of casting the poor, after months and days of doing that. It says he finally settles on a day, and it is almost 11 months in the future. The lot fell on the last of the month, the month Adar. We're talking about the Hebrew calendar. But Haman's lot casting was not to find out anything but bad things. So how would you like to know that you as a Jew are depending on wicked and evil men who are casting lots to the occult and occultic gods and demonic gods to find out when they can put you to death? How would you further like to know when the edict comes out that you have about 11 months to live if things go the way they think? You know, it would be bad enough if you just had a few days to live But now you get to live with this, and you get to live with it in every province in the kingdom for 11 months. You know your death is coming. What do we do? How do we handle that? How do you, as a husband, read that edict, or it's told to you or read to you, and you're a Jewish man, and you have to go home to your wife and your kids today and tell them we are living in a country where somebody has made a decree that in 11 months' time... We're all going to be put to death by our neighbors, and they'll take all our stuff. That'd be tough. That'd be really difficult, but you know that had to happen. Now, in verses 8 through 11, we learn that even without bribes, leaders sometimes agree to terrible things, to terrible things. In verse 8, Haman sets out to inform the king why he should agree to wipe out the entire nation of the Jews. But as you look at verse 8, it says, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people that is scattered everywhere. These people are they're just intermingled everywhere in your kingdom. His idea is we've got to get them out of there. I'd like to think that Christians are intermingled everywhere in our communities and across this land. And people don't like it. And there are leaders who don't like it. Just a lot like this. And Haman says they're everywhere, but he doesn't say who he wants to kill. That's not even there. So Haman sets out to tell the king, he says, "Uh, you have an infestation in the entire kingdom with the presence of a certain group of people, and they are just everywhere. And the reason they're a problem is because they follow different laws than your laws. They have their own laws and they do not observe the laws of the king. Now, as far as we know, he doesn't know anything about what the Jews do. All he knows is that Mordecai would not bow to him, would not show him honor. That's enough of that. And he claimed it was because he was a Jew, so it must mean that their laws teach that you can't do that, and so they need to die, all of them. The only evidence they have about Mordecai was his refusal to bow. Haman's judgment is that it is of the interest of the king to let these people be annihilated. And look in verse 9, without any discussion at this point, Haman proceeds to tell the king about the plan to destroy all these people. And Xerxes never says, what people are you talking about? Just all these people. He wants a royal decree to destroy them, and he says, I will pay for the effort. Yeah, this is going to cost a lot of money. We have to have people to, you know, put in charge. We've got soldiers involved. He says, I will give you 10,000 talents of silver. Now, that may not sound like that much, but I don't know of anybody that owns a home that you could put that much in. That's 750,000 pounds of silver. That's a bunch. That's half of what King Ahasuerus takes in every year for taxes. He must be thinking that he's going to gain a lot from the spoils of dead Jews for him to fork out that kind of money. Haman says, I'll pay for all this. I'll put this in your treasury. It's not going to cost you anything. And there may be some left over, you know, you can, you can gain by this. He wants to pay the people who actually do the business that he wants. And it's unclear whether Ahasuerus actually takes this bribe because of the way that the Hebrew text is worded. In verse 10, without a single question about who is this, how are you going to do it, and where are they, he just takes off his signet ring, which has the authority of the king in his commands, and he hands it to Haman and says, do whatever you want with them. Do whatever you want with them. Do you even care who they are? Do you care that there's women and children involved? Do you care about what they really teach? Nothing. Nothing. So without a question, he just hands him his signet ring. Now, Haman has the full authority of the king, and the king is the full authority. And he's going to use it. Four times in the book, Haman is called an enemy of the Jews, except in chapter 3, verse 6, where it just says, I disdain them. And it looks now like an enemy of God, and God's people, has the upper hand against them. And it can often look like that in situations where the, uh, uh, the just are being not treated well by the unjust. In verse 11, it seems like Ahasuerus is probably not taking the money, but saying, Haman, uh, you go ahead and pay for it and use it however you want. But why wouldn't Ahasuerus want to know a few details about what Haman is doing in his kingdom? Does he trust Haman? has identified the right group. Does he really think that Haman knows what he's talking about? If he says these people are bad, they're bad. And if they're in Persia, they need to be killed. Apparently he does. Does he care about the slaughter of his own people who are under his control in his kingdom? No, he doesn't. Uh, There is a group in the kingdom that has no right to be tolerated. Let's kill them. Ahasuerus says, okay. And then in verses 12 to 15, we learn that bad leaders decree death to their enemies And care nothing about what they have done now we have to see a greedy proud boastful hateful arrogant selfish vengeful evil leader in haman get exactly what he wants the decree for death for the jews is written and it goes out on the 13th of nisan so let's say i'm that jewish man i just went home that day and told my kids they're going to put us to death in 11 months we have to live under that black cloud for a long time And it's the day before Passover. What do you think then? It's going to put a damper on your holiday. And we learn about the Passover and when it is. It's on the 14th of that month. And that's in Exodus 12. That would sure ruin my Passover meal if I had one. The king's scribes and runners are called into action. Haman will dictate exactly what he wants done. Leaves nothing to the imagination. If you know a Jew kill him on this day, take their stuff. Keep it. The decree is written so that every person from every language in all 127 provinces knows exactly what's being done. The edict of death was couriered to every province in Persia in the kingdom. It went by runners. It went by horsemen. The content of the letter was clear. All Jews are to be killed in, in Adar, the last, of the, the last of that month. Note especially here. The people are called on to destroy, to kill, and annihilate the Jews on the 13th of Adar. Uh, You see that? Letters were sent by the couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of a verse in John 10.10. Does that remind you of that verse? Where Jesus said, the good shepherd, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The thief. Speaking of Satan, he says, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Look at the text. What What does he want to do? Destroy, kill, and annihilate. That's the same MO as Jesus was talking about in John 10 for his arch enemy, Satan. Satan always has had it in his plans. It's his mode of operation to kill, steal, and destroy. And now he has Haman in a place of power and a king who really doesn't care. And they're going to go out and do what hate, uh, what uh, Satan's hatefulness wants done, kill, steal, and destroy. Do you see the connection? Do you see it's the same angelic being that was kicked out of heaven and fell and hates God's people? This is the same fallen angel that is still doing today what he's always been doing. He is a pro at killing people. It reminds me of that show, uh, How Much More Wicked Could It Get, than uh, the the show called The Purge, if you've ever seen that. This is what they want to do with the Jews. And uh, uh, the Bible says in the last days it's what governments are going to want to do to Christians. And this guy is going to murder everyone. The depth of the blackness of the human heart without Christ is beyond our capacity to comprehend. Satan thinks 750,000 pounds of silver is no big price to pay if it means all the Jews are dead. Because if I can kill the Jews, I can kill the Messiah. And he won't be around. Satan's going to fail. Jesus is not uh, in the uh, business of annihilation, he's in the business of life. And he gave his life for you and I. How much is that worth? Way more than 750,000 pounds of silver. As an incentive to kill the Jews, Haman was going to not allow them to take their belongings. He was going to allow them to take their belongings as plunder and spoil. Uh, Wouldn't that make for a a nice neighborhood? Neighbors are coming over taking inventory of what you have and what they're going to take. As an incentive, that's what he put out there. In verse 14, the edict was law, and Haman wanted everyone ready to kill on the day that it was decreed by the lot by poor the decree in verse 15 was issued at the citadel of Susa it went out from there couriers were there to get the message to the nation's people as quickly as possible Uh, though news spread